Hi guys, and welcome to the Figured Outable podcast. I'm your host, Carly Visconto, and this is a space where we talk all things navigating life in your 20s, diving into the topics of health, wellness, career, faith, relationships, and so much more. No longer are the days where we have to act like we have it all figured out. In a world that likes to pretend, join me for your dose of reality, proving that you can live your happiest life while figuring it out at the same damn time. All right, so we have my dear friend Jess here, and I already know that this is going to be a fun listen for all of the listeners just because of your accent, Um, but just to give a little bit of an intro, Jess is somebody that I met within the first week of being here in Australia. I met her at a running club, and we kind of just hit it off, recognized that we both had podcasts and bonded over that, and she told me about Airlocker, which is the fitness studio that she instructs at, and she is just overall such a light and has been such an instrumental part of my time here in Australia so far. So first off, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, Jess. No worries. Um, I feel like I should say g'day or something like that, <laughs> like something super Australian to get yes. started. Um, I hope you enjoy the accent. I'm Jess, by the way. So yeah, like Kelly said, I am a coach at Airlocker um, in Australia, which is where I've been growing up for my whole life. I am 20 years old and I just moved to the Sunshine Coast about a year ago now, actually. Um, I moved out here by myself um, to pursue uni, but no longer really doing that right now. I've just been up here coaching and trying to learn how to surf, not really doing that well. Um, And of course, starting a podcast as well, um, which has been just a super exciting adventure to embark on and, you know, get to meet amazing people like Carly, like guys, my gosh, your podcast host is so cool. Oh, yeah. Your podcast for those listening, if you want to check it out, it's called How's Your Heart. And she just has such amazing episodes and just really talks about a lot of things that we talk about here on Figured Outable. And we actually just recorded an episode for her podcast. So definitely check it out. But I want to dive deeper into fitness instructing and how you got into it. Is fitness something that's always been a big part of your life? Did you think that you were going to be a fitness instructor when you were younger? How did it come about? So I never really thought that I would be a fitness coach, but fitness has always been a massive part of my life. I did like sport in school growing up and a little bit of running in there as well. Um, Just like you cross countries and whatnot in school. Um, But I started going to the gym about grade eight, which is like probably when I was around like 14 years old. And at that time I was just kind of like, doing random workouts from Instagram and just copying what I saw other people do. And my form wasn't the best in the least. And I was, I really just didn't know what I was doing, but I brought my little notebook and I went along to the gym like every afternoon after school. And that really continued all throughout my 
schooling experience and it was like essentially what kept me afloat like I just loved doing it and I got really good at it towards the end of um high school and it was just like a consistent thing it was my non-negotiable I just I started going in the morning which was really good I had that beautiful morning routine and it became something that I had a community around as well um I had like beautiful friends at the gym and it was amazing, but I never thought that I would be like a personal trainer or a coach for fitness um, groups or anything of the sorts. I thought that I would go to uni. And at that point, I really wanted to become like either an author or something in like the law area. I knew that I probably wouldn't get the grades to go into it because it's like obviously a really prestigious course. And I think I only just missed the mark, but I'm really glad that I didn't get into it because I don't know if I would have survived, um, quite honestly. Um, But I went out of school and went straight into exercise and nutrition at uni. So it was kind of a, a really broad course that did cover like everything from nutrition to exercise science and usually people use that as like a bridging course into exercise physiology or dietitians um you know all of those kind of fields but I went into it because I was like I want to like learn more about exercise and nutrition and as much as I thought I had like a little grasp on it I really really didn't and that's what led me into I guess a really dark path of exercise and nutrition. And whilst I was studying in my first year, I didn't even make it through a whole semester. Like I could only get to halfway and I had to drop out because I was put into hospital for an eating disorder. And during my recovery, I was like, I need to do something because I was bed bound. And I was like, I need to do something, anything to get me in that community again. And so I started doing my certs in fitness and that's how I became a coach. That's where I just was like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now because I need something to keep me occupied, something to keep me in that community, something to keep me engaged in my passion. But obviously I couldn't move. So I just studied it in the only way that I saw there was. So I have so many questions coming from that because it's an amazing story. And just seeing like kind of where you've been obviously not firsthand, but you recently posted something on your Instagram. It was super raw and vulnerable. And it kind of gave me a little bit of more insight just to see how far you've come. I'm a so happy that you are in the fitness space because as a group instructor, I feel like we need people like you to set the example and be the leader because I think there's a lot of noise and misinformation and toxicity out there, which I think we all have the ability to get caught up in. And it sounds like you were kind of on like your fitness grind. Like, do you think the health and wellness space almost contributed to your like eventual downfall with an eating disorder? Yes and no. I think there has always been a really healthy side to health and fitness. And I think it will probably continue as much as people are, like moving for movement and moving for mental health and eating what feels good. And I think that will always be there because some people are really just naturally good at eating intuitively. 
and moving intuitively, but there is also a really dark side to health and fitness, which I feel like a lot of us get caught up in and I did as well. And yeah, definitely. I think it, it fed into this idea of you need to train for a million hours a day and um, you need to like eat the bare minimum to do that and always be on this cut, cut, cut. And um, there was no real education around how you can actually make that a holistic and beautiful way to honor your body. I think it all boils down to intention, right? Like you can you can perform these quote-unquote healthy habits, but I think there's a fine line between healthy and unhealthy. And when they become obsessive, um, I think it can really escalate and turn a good thing into a bad thing. Can you pinpoint when your good intentions kind of started to go awry? Like when did things become a little bit more intense and when did you and those around you kind of start picking up on the habits that weren't looking so healthy anymore? Yeah. So I tend to pinpoint the start of my eating disorder when I was in grade two. So I think I was around like seven years old then. Um, And I had family who had eating disorders at that time as well. And that continued like all throughout my childhood. Um, And so I would have like said it was like kind of creeping in then, but it really spiked when I finished grade 12. And I remember finishing, like I was graduating and everyone's like, oh, like it's so scary to like go out into the world. And I remember all I was thinking was I can't wait for me to have the freedom to like allow myself to go to the gym and eat whenever I want. And I know that's like, the freedom is like, oh, you're going to eat all the time and you're going to like not have to go to the gym because it's not part of your routine. I took it in the complete opposite way. I was like, people don't tell me when I eat lunch, so I just won't. And like people don't tell me like I have to be at school by 8 o'clock. I can just gym from 4 a.m. until 8 a.m. And like I can just consistently do gym instead of doing uni study because the tutors aren't watching and it was just always the case of that was my coping mechanism that was my addiction and I couldn't get off this hamster wheel and it got to about uh probably January of 20 2021 would have been and I remember like I had a lot of people I was working in a cafe at this point so pretty active job And I had all of these regular customers start coming up to me and being like, oh, Jess, like you've lost a lot of weight. Oh, Jess, like, have you been eating? I had my bosses pull me apart, like pull me aside and be like, "Um, we aren't sure whether to give you more shifts or less shifts, because if we give you more shifts, you might collapse because, you know, you're not fueling yourself enough and you're like, you know, not surviving like I looked really really unwell but then they're like if we give you less shifts and let you rest you're not going to use it because you're just going to go to the gym and continue this cycle and it was just this addiction that I just simply couldn't get out of and I remember telling them I was like like what do you mean like 
this is nothing. Even though like literally warning signs were flashing in my face. Like I hadn't had a period since I was 16 and I was about 18 at this point. And I, all my clothes weren't fitting me anymore. And my hair was falling out and I started getting hair all over my arms and like, nothing was working with me anymore. I started getting injuries all the time, but I just worked through them. And I used to sleep so heavily. Like I just, as soon as I had hit the pillow, I'm out. And then I wake up and I just go again. And it was just like, I couldn't catch a break. No matter what I did or didn't do, I couldn't catch a break from it. It was just consistently tormenting me. Were these regular customers one of the first wave of people to kind of address this to you or were there family and friends also coming to you with concern? So my dad initially, I guess, expressed like, oh, you don't like look well, like what's going on here? Um, But the way that he went about it was, it just, it was very like troubling to me because it would make me feel guilty for it. Like it wasn't actually helping. Like if he called me and I was at the gym, he was like, why aren't you spending time with me? Like, where have you been? You haven't been at home in like, you know, hours and hours, like what's going on. And I was like, Oh, I'm just at the gym. And he's like, Oh, but I feel like I haven't seen you in ages. And it just perpetuated this cycle of guilt and shame that, Oh, I wasn't, Like I was fulfilling so many, I had to fulfill so many areas of my life. And by like centering myself in this, um, like satisfying my ED and doing all of this exercise and nutrition took away from this other facet that I also really valued, but I wasn't engaged with because I was so focused on exercising and my eating that I didn't have time for. But in the way that my dad first expressed his concerns, it just fed more into my ED because I was just caught up with all of these emotions. Like as much as an eating disorder contributed to like my physical appearance, like it was mostly mental. Like it was just like all of these emotions that I couldn't deal with. Yeah. Well, that's like the super interesting side of eating disorders. And I think that they are so complex because there's a wide spectrum of severity, obviously. So there can be like disordered eating and disordered exercising all the way up into a diagnosed eating disorder. And I think behind every eating disorder or disordered eating is intention. And there's something that is motivating that. And I think for every individual person, that is so different. And so just to open up a little bit to you, like I also have a history of I call it disordered eating um, and disordered exercising. And in my life, it was during the time when I was in college and I was running competitively and I wasn't feeling good enough. I didn't feel like I was performing well enough. And so in order to kind of combat that, I started to eat less and less, run more and more and try to just shrink myself into the smallest version of myself in order to be good because the harsh reality is a lot of people in that sport result to that in order to achieve the results they want. And ultimately they are victorious in that. And so was I, um, I actually had my best year of running when I was at the height of my disordered eating. 
And I'll never forget, I had kind of a similar moment to you when my coach pulled me aside and said, Carly, you're looking a little bit too skinny. Like, is everything okay? And I, like you, brushed it off and was like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I was like, I I mean, I guess I could like add in a few more snacks a day. Like just chalking it up to I'm training so hard. My body is utilizing all of the fuel that I'm giving it that I just need to give it more. When in reality, like I was eating a Quest bar for breakfast, a cucumber for lunch to fill me because it was like, like very high volume, I feel like like broccoli, like I was just eating volume foods that have had no calories in them basically. And I too was kind of in this denial. And it's such a weird place to be because it's not even like a lack of self-awareness. You're aware, but I think you don't want to be aware. So do you know, like, I guess what was motivating your ED or where it was coming from? Yeah, completely. So it's obviously still something that I'm like working through in 2020 when I graduated. COVID was in that space. Um, I was obviously in grade 12, had to do grade 12 from home. Couldn't control that, couldn't control what was going on from a day to day. Also had a massive blow up and breakdown in my family that led to me being homeless for a little bit. And not being able to study at my desk for my finals. Instead, I had to study in my car and, you know, stuff like that. There was just like, I can't control any of this. Like, what the heck is going on? This is literally insane. And then also this, I guess, anxiety that a lot of graduates feel where it's like, okay, what now? I've been in school for like so many years, my whole life essentially, and I won't have it anymore. I won't have the friends who I went to school with anymore. And I don't I have to figure out what I need to do with my life. And it felt so out of control. And I had so much anxiety and depression in me that I just was like, I need to distract. And you know, endorphins rush through you when you're exercising. And for me, it endorphins rush through me when I restricted. So that is what I fed into. That was the only thing that made me feel good, that made me feel in control. And even though my intention wasn't to end up in hospital for an ED or even to have as severe of an ED as I want, as I had, I never wanted that. It is the impact of intentionally trying to numb myself and as much as like that's hard to hear when we don't face those emotions and those really hard things and we don't have the safe space to do so and the hands to help us and hold us while we work through it like it can lead to these addictions and these really really severe mental disorders yeah and that's why again like I just like reiterating on the fact that this isn't a physical disorder. Like it's not always about the aesthetics and trying to achieve this dream body. Like it truly is so much deeper than that. And it is a full-blown mental disorder that needs to be treated as such. Um, When you think back to the time when you were kind of like in the thick of your eating disorder, I feel like a lot of times people talk around this topic, but They don't get specific and I always am on the other side of those podcasts listening, being like, I want examples. Like what were you doing? Like what were your habits? Because I know personally, like I just mentioned, like 
Mine was eating a fucking cucumber for lunch some days before a workout because I wanted my stomach to feel full without getting the calories. Or mine was, you know, refusing to get a latte because that was like too much milk. I needed the cold brew with just a splash of cream or whatever. Or opting for a salad at dinner because I thought the burger was too many calories, like stuff like that. So can you kind of just take us back to a time when you can remember some of those triggers and some of those habits that you fell into that made the kind of eating disorder spiral? Yeah, of course. And like, I know that probably one of the reasons why people don't get into like the specifics of it is because they don't want people to follow in their footsteps because they do recognize now that it was really like negative and was not healthy at all and not something to recommend. But I also agree. I think it's good to be specific because then people can like resonate and be like, oh, I do that. Maybe I need to start working on that. Because a lot of it's normalized. Yeah. Literally diet culture is everywhere and like as a fitness coach I hear it every day I had a member come up to me and she's like oh what are you having I was like oh avocado on toast and she's like oh you carbing and I was like yeah yeah I am (laughs) I actually am I'm having two slices of bread because I need fuel for my workouts and also I really like bread is toast (laughs) considered carbing now like I would think like maybe a 10 course pasta dinner pre-marathon would be carbing but like is incorporating a healthy carb into your breakfast considered carbing now? Yeah. So you hear it all the time and so normalized, but I'll dive into essentially what like a day in my life looked like in probably maybe one week out from hospital. Um, So wake up was at 4am and straight with like the sneakers and my workout gear and then I'd go downstairs. I was living at my parents' house at the time. Go downstairs and I'd do a workout from a YouTuber that I'd planned. I'd taken like about three hours to plan the night before. Like I had to look through all of the workouts and make sure that this one was so intense that it would burn the most calories. Like literally would take up my whole life, my whole night was deciding which workout to do the next morning. So I'd plan one or two of those YouTube videos to follow and I'd just like literally just sweat and it'd just be like (laughs) watching the sun come up I guess which was like why I kept on doing it I was like oh no like this is nice like I'm doing like a healthy girl routine like waking up early watching the sunrise getting my movement in when it was just like nah babe like just go to bed um (laughs) and then after that I'd have a shower and I'd put my work gear on ready for um work probably was from like 7 until like 4 p.m and like that I was a waitress so I was like running around literally manic the whole day um I'd have for breakfast a like quarter cup of oats with water half a scoop of protein powder and like like the smallest amount of peanut butter like I'm saying like probably would fit on your pinky fingernail I was like yep filling <laughs> so I was gonna say a good breakfast just you needed so to time that by four yeah and um and then I would have like maybe a black coffee like just black coffee and obviously like so much water like I was drinking probably five liters of water a day just because I thought well most people who say they're healthy drink three so I'm gonna drink five to just be better 
egotistical or just mental I don't know but um so I did that and then went to work and then like I said I probably would have done at least 30,000 steps every day just like doing that and then for lunch like midway through my shift I'd have a can of tuna and then I'd go around for the rest of the day and then I'd get home I'd have like a carrot and head to the gym for two hours to train my butt off just like literally like you know the air locker sessions we do yes like that and more intense for like two plus hours and then for like a 10k run and then I'd come home and then for dinner would be like three egg whites a bit of spinach and then I'd just go to bed after planning my next workout for the next day so no wonder your head was hitting the pillow and you were yeah out like a light yeah and I had no friends really like I did have beautiful friends but I didn't have like like I didn't engage with them like I wasn't living my 20 like 18 year old 19 year old self like it wasn't that at all I was literally just restricting working driving to work or working out Well, that's that's the thing with this disorder. Like it is all consuming and it's isolating. It's lonely. It it makes you retreat. And because you are so obsessed over the control of your food and your environment and your routine, it's like even going out to dinner is a trigger because you can't control what you're being fed. Like if I was going to hang out with my friends, I'd be like, let's go shopping because then I'd think at least I can walk around the shops. Right. Right. And it's not food focused. And it's like I missed out on so many memories with my friends and my family because I was so, so scared of not controlling that. And, yeah, you go. So then when did you get admitted to hospital? What was the changing factor there that finally made that happen? So when I was admitted to hospital, essentially I was talking with my mom who had also had an eating disorder, which landed her in hospital as well. And I was like, mom, I just don't feel like I'm myself anymore. I don't know what's going on. And she's like, okay, like, let's just go see someone. Like there's no strings. There's no expectation. Like, let's just go see someone. And so I'd already done essentially what I told you previously up until um, like 3 p.m. that day so I finished work an hour early and then I was in my workout gear ready to go to the gym after the appointment because I was like oh no it's fine it's fine <laughs> anyway so I get into this place and I'm talking with the therapist and she's asking me all these questions they weigh me which my eating disorder never counted calories and never weighed myself That was never part of it. I never was like into the numbers. Like you don't have to count calories to have an eating disorder. Simple as that. Right. Um, And so I was talking with the therapist and she was like, oh, like all of these different, I guess, mental disorder questions. And then I get on the scale and she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, okay, I haven't seen uh, what. I didn't really even know. Like I didn't know relatively what that weight was because I hadn't weighed myself in like, maybe three years like nothing I was like okay I guess and then she's like checking my BMI and she's like oh okay I think we have I think you have anorexia nervosa we're gonna need to go to the hospital immediately or go to your doctor Um, I'm really worried about your health right now and 
you know, it's looking as if a heart attack is on the way. And I was like, oh, no, you're joking, right? Like, look at me. Like I said to her, I was like, look at me. I'm not anorexic because I was so blindsided from this disorder that I didn't even know what I looked like. And my mom's like, oh, there's a hospital around the corner. We can just go get checked up. My mom was acting super blase about it. She was like, obviously she recognized what was going on, but she didn't want to like stress me out. So we got in the car and went to the hospital and I waited in that emergency room for probably around two hours before I was seen. And by that point, still like no food in the system. So literally fading on the floor, like was not like, I don't know. I wasn't really invited. I was a shell of a person. And so these nurses came in eventually and took me into the room and they started doing like all the ECGs and stuff and taking my pulse. And I had to sit and stand a lot because I had to measure how my heart rate changed when I was sitting and standing and my heart rate was below 25 beats per minute and if you know anything about heart rate usually like general healthy person at resting is about like 50 70 beats per minute like usually in that range and me standing up so like not resting was 25 which means that like my heart was failing my body was eating my muscles and because your heart's a muscle it was eating my heart and so I got taken in and they were like you're gonna stay here tonight and we'll talk more in the morning and so they talked more in the morning and I was in the hospital for about two weeks and the next day they put in an NG tube um, which I'm not sure if you know what that is no it's a nasogastric so it's like a feeding tube goes through your nose down through your throat and into your belly and that was the scariest moment of my life. So did you ever get to go home or from the moment that you were checked into the hospital you stayed there? Yeah I stayed there. Wow. So I never got to go home that night and train like my eating disorder really wanted me to. Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine that. So you get to hospital and what are they making your days look like? Are you allowed to eat when you want? Are they putting meals in front of you that you absolutely have to finish? Like what is protocol? Yeah. So there's this um, illness that is called refeeding syndrome or refeeding illness or something along the lines of that. And it's essentially when you've been restricting or you've been in like starving mode for a long time and you suddenly give your body food it shocks all your hormones and all of your electrolytes go crazy and hectic so I didn't eat for the next I think it was like three days after I got admitted to hospital which was oh I don't know how to put this my eating disorder thrived off that (laughs) it was like yes queen no more food. We love it. And myself, my whole body was like, um, no, like what the heck we need food. Like Jess is shutting down as we speak. We like, I know we're in hospital, but like we need something. And so after I had the NG tube in, which was like day two, I think that afternoon, um, I was bed bound and I was being wheelchaired to the bathroom. I was, 
not being fed any like solid foods. It was just NG tube foods. And I was seeing a doctor twice a day. I was having my ECG sitting and standing, blood tests and medication done. I think it was like my ECG was getting done like two or three times a day, I think. And then obviously like blood tests once a day. And um, just like seeing the therapist, seeing the psychiatrist, and they were like just judging like where I was at mentally. And it was really overwhelming. And I remember one, there was like when I, whenever I had to shower, um, we were in like this ward that had like a hallway next to the shower room. And because I had my East, my NG tube stand next to me and I had to be wheelchaired in there and the nurse had to watch me while I showered. So she left the door open to like stand outside so she could watch all the other girls like in the ward and um and also me and I remember sitting in the shower as an 18 year old like butt naked and all of these randoms just watching me shower like all the people who were walking through the hallways every nurse every doctor every person who was coming to see their family like everyone could see me shower and I said to the nurse I said can you please close the like the blind a little bit because I don't want everyone to see me naked and she's like no because I need to watch you and I was like this is the most dehumanizing thing ever that's like something you would expect from like somebody in an asylum or like in the movies only like to hear that that actually happens is just heartbreaking and like you said so dehumanizing yeah and like yeah I really appreciate like that nurse had a lot to do. Like she had to like watch three other people as well as me. And I'm not going to say I was probably like a really hard patient. Like I was, if we talked about this prior to recording, but if you guys have ever watched the show Euphoria, Rue from that show, like when she is having those absolute breakdowns from not being able to have her drugs or just from things that happen in her life, like that's not just like drug addictions like that's what I was like like I was like let me exercise I don't think you understand like this is my only way of coping and now you're just forcing me to sit in this bed with a constant feeding tube down me that I can't control and also has the full calories written on the bottle like as someone who like never counted calories but knew a, like a little bit about what it was that freaked me out so much and the fact that I had to just sit there and like no movement at all I was like breakdown after breakdown after breakdown was the whole <laughs> hospital know. experience like that or was there a turning point where recovery kind of took hold and you like started to see the light and come around and feel like it was a more positive experience or was it negative throughout the whole thing? No, it was negative the whole time. Um, quite honestly, I think if like the re- the way that I was treated and my experience in hospital was so bad that it was motivated to get out. And I have like all of these diary entries that I wrote while I was in there and I just was like, I can't wait to be able to drink water. Also, I wasn't allowed to drink water. They gave me like two cups a day. What? (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't because um, 
I don't know what like my, my levels would be thrown off or something like that, but wasn't allowed to drink water. Like they gave me like two little cups a day. And um, so I was like, I can't wait to be able to drink water whenever I want. I can't wait to walk to the bathroom whenever I want. I can't wait to um, like be able to stand up. What were the milestones that you needed to reach in order to get out? Did they lay it out for you? Like you need to do X, Y, Z until you are able to be um, released? So I had to be on – I had to complete every single meal that they gave in front of me, um, which was a lot of fear foods, (laughs) a lot of them. And I had to reach – Oh, so like literally everything under the sun, everything that I didn't mention in that previous like day in the life was a fear food, like anything like the fact that they gave me like yogurt literally was a fear food because I was like, I can't have dairy simply simple as that. I just can't have dairy. But you know, that was, it's not actually an intolerance of mine. It's just an intolerance of my eating disorder. Yeah. And, um, Yes, yeah, so I had to complete every meal. My heart rate had to be above 50 beats per minute at a resting beat. Um, I had to show signs that I was willing to recover, even though I faked every single one of them. And um, I I thought to myself, as soon as I get out, I'm going back to where I was. Like I, I'm just bullshitting this so that I can get out of here because it's hell. And then I had to have like therapist appointments booked and I was like oh I'll just cancel those when I get out I didn't but (laughs) that's what I thought so yeah Um, when did the real recovery take over like when did you come around real recovery started when I moved up to the Sunshine Coast really yeah because I engaged with a new therapist that was on my terms that I really clicked with And even though it wasn't for specific eating disorder, like, I guess, therapy, like it wasn't an eating disorder therapist, it was just a normal therapist. Um, She has helped me the most in my eating disorder journey because she saw me as a human. And she, oh, sorry, I'm getting emotional. No, it's okay. Just to even think that if you had met her, at the start, like all of those negative experiences that could have been avoided and all of that turmoil and you saying you weren't the easiest patient. Well, no shit. You weren't being treated like a human. If you had met her at the start and she was coming from a place that she wanted to help you, which it doesn't sound like anybody else was doing that for you. And I think that's why you weren't ready to start that recovery journey is because you didn't have yeah. somebody that was an invested in you and Jess, the person, not Jess the eating disorder patient. Absolutely. I met her on Facebook marketplace as well. Like I didn't, yeah, it was so interesting. I was like at a really low point in my recovery journey. Like when I first moved up here, I was like going back, going real backwards. And I was like, I need to stop this before I end up in hospital. Because like I said, that was the only motivator of me keep like keeping myself out of hospital. I wasn't recovering once I left hospital. I was just avoiding going back to hospital. And um, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to look for clothes on Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) And then I found her, like, just as an ad. And I was like, maybe I'll give her a call. And I didn't. And I waited a week. And I was like, well, maybe I'll give her a call. And then I didn't. And then I waited a week and I gave her a call. And then 
literally has been going to her ever since and she is like literally guys once you find the therapist that actually like helps you and sees you as a human and focuses on your values and like what you actually want out of life and they start digging through all of the disorders and the anxiety and the depression and actually get to like the heart of you like it makes you feel so seen and so heard. The fact that she probably took a more holistic approach to get to the root cause of what was your ED covering up. And instead, instead of treating your eating disorder, treating the root cause, which I think is across the spectrum, like same thing with holistic health when you're trying to find out your gut issues. It's usually not because you're intolerant to gluten. It's because there's something deeper going on. So yeah. was she giving you certain goals around food and exercise or were you just inspired by her work with you that you took that upon yourself? It was really interesting because she's not an eating disorder therapist specifically. Um, she never gave me like any meal plans or anything to do with like what I was doing in terms of my eating disorder um, because she realized that those it was never about my body. And as much as like there is a time and place to refeed someone to keep them alive, she realized that at this point I was in a stable condition, like medically, like I was okay, but it was more about the emotional turmoil that was going on inside. And so she gave me things like, I want you to write down, like I want you to journal at least once this week, like let's just do that. And then it was like, I want you to go to the beach and just sit there for like five minutes. And then she's like, what do you really value? Like, do you um, like value time in the sun? Do you value like connection with people? And I was like, I really miss my friends. And so she was like, okay, over the next week, I want you to plan a outing with your friends. It doesn't have to be anything magic, just maybe a coffee date with one of them. And so I did that and it was amazing because I actually got to like connect with someone and talk to someone. And then she was like, okay, you're really creative. Like, why don't you draw a painting this week before you come see me? And so I did one and like, it would just be stuff like that. Like it wouldn't necessarily be like, she wouldn't give me specific things. It would be like all from my mind, but she'd lead me there. She'd be like, I can see that you're like really focused on love and you're really focused on like harmony and peace and um, connection to self. And so I'd like make little practices for myself. Yeah, it sounds like she helped you rediscover like the little things that bring you joy, which just sounds like you left no time for in your past when you were battling with the eating disorder because that was so all-consuming that you were leaving out the human connection, the vitamin D, the sitting on the beach, the letting your creative juices flow over a painting. Like it sounds like she was just reincorporating what every human needs, which is just different facets of life that bring us different pockets of fulfillment. Absolutely. She helped me let my truest self become part of my day-to-day rather than just letting the eating disorder take over and just become me like I wanted she like helped me separate myself from my eating disorder which I think is like such a big part and I think that's why we get so um I guess 
blindsided by an eating disorder when we don't realize that it's infiltrated so much of who we are we start to identify so heavily with it that we don't even recognize it's a problem we just think this is the way it is when it doesn't have to be it's just you just attach to a coping mechanism that is actually self-sabotaging you yeah So in this recovery journey, are there habits that you can identify that you still maybe practice to make sure that you are on the continual right path, whether that be unfollowing certain influencers on social media or making sure that you are eating a certain breakfast every day, like just little things that keep you on the right track? Because we obviously know healing is not always linear and it's a constant battle day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess one of the most simple things you can do is just unfollow those accounts. Um, There are so many accounts that promote toxicity to do with eating disorders, but then there are also lots of accounts that like subliminally send you messages and that's not necessarily their fault. That's just how you're taking them. And once you recognize that that's just not good for you, despite the intention of the creator, Um, you can just unfollow that. It's really simple. It's really easy. There's no need to be attached to it. You can refollow once you feel comfortable to again. Um, Nothing's permanent in that sense. Um, And then what I always love to do is reframing scheduling workouts into just scheduling movement. That is like a massive part of me my day like I have a little habit tracker um, which you guys will probably hear all about if you come over to the how's your heart podcast and listen to the episode with Carly we just did but um it's not exercise and it's not train it's um movement and it's all focused on like movement can be anywhere from going on a run to walking around the shops one day like it, it, there's no pressure on that I think that is like a massive part of it because I was so into the perfectionism of movement and having to always feel so exhausted after a workout. But now movement is just that. It's just moving my body, whatever that looks like that day. And I can tick it off and I still get the endorphin rush because I'm still moving. Um, and another big part it has been a massive part in my, I guess, journey regardless of like whether I was actually recovering or not is journaling is like I'm someone who has a lot of emotions and I'm a highly sensitive person and sometimes I feel like I don't have the opportunity to speak to someone about that every day so journaling has been a way that I can unpack everything that happened that day I can see what my eating disorder is doing to my brain and doing to my life from a third person perspective because once it's down on the page, I'm like, that's actually not true. <laughs> that's actually really not okay. And I can start being like, oh, like I need to get that checked. And like, I need to actually do something different. Let's flip the switch. Let's actually start taking care of ourselves rather than just like following, like blindly following this eating disorder again. Um, another thing I like to do is, make sure that I eat (laughs) Um, and I'm not talking like scraps. I'm talking like I eat a lot of food now and don't track it. I don't. I simply don't. I just make sure I have protein and a lot of it, um, fats and carbs, all in the meal. And even if they don't have all of it in the meal, across the day, 
and, you know, just making sure that the food I'm putting in my body feels good and not every day is perfect and just taking some attachment away from the perfectionism around food. Really, it is the simple things, just eating enough, listening to your body. I feel like we make health a lot harder than it has to be. And I think a lot of the issues that people endure is kind of inflicted on society and diet culture. And like we said there, it's not always this extreme outcome like it was with you. Like it can be present on such a smaller scale. And I think it's in those instances when it's overlooked because it's normalized. And that's why I was very excited to do this podcast because I think it's raw and it's vulnerable and it was very detailed. And I think sometimes people need to hear that because this isn't a topic that's kind of called out. And I think more often we kind of need to call ourselves out and society and and social media out on all the bullshit that we're fed day in and day out. And even if we don't feel like we can do that for ourselves, finding support around you to help you. I don't think I would have gotten through my ED if I didn't have the people around me that I did because especially when you're in such a state of this really, really poor mental health situation, whether that's an ED, whether that's anxiety, whether that's depression or any other thing, if you don't have the people around you to help you or you don't reach out for people to help you, whether that's your family, your friends or a therapist or, you know, maybe just someone in the street today that you just need to talk to like just find your people they're gonna help you and they will lift you up when you just simply can't it's not a battle that you should face alone and you don't have to nobody should feel like they have to no way absolutely not oh that's beautiful well thank you so much I honestly like can't thank you enough for just being so open I know like this topic isn't the easiest to talk about um but I truly do believe that it is going to help a lot of people out there. So very thankful for you for coming on and just telling your story because it is a beautiful one. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carly. And yeah, just like opening this space to talk about something that is like a little bit hard to talk about, but like making it such a safe space is like just so meaningful to me. And I hope it helps someone. And if not, we just settled on and created a bit of awareness about it. And that's important too. No, I'm sure it'll help somebody. More than one person, (laughs) I'm sure of it. But thank you again. All right. Love you. Bye.